Hey, Derek Sheridan from Rust Belt Basketball Coaches Network, and we are stoked tonight to present episode one of our Rust Belt Basketball Coaches Show. And tonight we have the legendary Wayne Brooks, Mike McBride, and Brooks Miller. And we'll get more into that in greater detail after I give a gigantic thank you to our sponsors, the people who make this happen, the people who allow me and Wayne and the other Rust Belt coaches on staff here to get the technology and the things that make all these things happen. They give us the financial backing to make this not only good, but the technology, the software, all those things that I need to get everything downloaded, chopped, cut, edited, whatever. So I can't thank these guys enough. We'll start off here. That's And of course they're, Alphabetically, I'm a gym teacher, so if it's not alphabetical, I don't understand it. But Anthony Wayne Barbershop, located in the most beautiful city of all of the Rust Belt, Maumee, Ohio. Anthony Wayne Barbershop is directly next door to the Jeds, so you can take care of a multitude of needs in a very short amount of time. Get your hair cut by Christy, and then zip over to Jeds, which is about four and a half steps away. And... um have some vivations, get some great chicken wings, and make a great afternoon or evening out of it. Christy is a friend of the working man. So what that means is you're going to get a great haircut, and it's not going to cost you $25 or $35. Because so I know the other barbers in the surrounding area are up over $20 to $25. Plus, with Christy at Anthony Wayne Barbershop, if you mention you're an RBCN or a Rust Belt Basketball Coaches Network fan, she will automatically deduct $1 off of your bill for a $15 haircut. And I'm here to tell you, if you find anybody in the great city of Anthony Wayne, uh, of Maumee, who has not had a great experience with Anthony Wayne, you know to run the other direction because they are not trustworthy. I would go so far as to say there's a strong chance that they are cloned and not a true human. Danny's Cafe in Rossford, Ohio. The spot to be east of the Maumee. The legendary baseball coach at Maumee and I, Todd Erie, went to Danny's Saturday afternoon to watch the Indiana State game as Rossford High School proudly has Brian Vorst's son, Derek Vorst, on the Indiana State men's roster. And he gets a substantial amount of playing time for a freshman. Danny's has more flat screen TVs hung in their establishment than any other sports bar I've been to. As a matter of fact, the only place I've ever been that has more flat screen TVs is Costco. So you can't miss it. It's right on the main drag in, in Rossford, and it is a fantastic place to be. The food is outstanding. Uh, uh, the 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 staff there's fine. I mean they're they're great. They um they hustle. The place is clean. It's a great place to have a, a fun afternoon or evening, and it's going it's not going to be too much longer before Danny's Cafe is the place all of us in Northwest Ohio gather after basketball games. Grip Spritz, the best shoot a court traction solution in the game. 
It's easy to use and not only is it highly effective, but the thing I like about grip sprints is you're going to go probably multiple seasons before you need any replacements. It's not a peel off system. It's a chemical system <laughs> with a multi-traction um, apparatus that's on the gym court that the student athletes use their shoes on. And it is highly effective. The students I give individual lessons to ask as soon as they enter the gym, hey, coach, is the grip spritz ready? Hoops Lab. Hoops Lab is the most user-friendly basketball play diagram system I have used. Most people who know me know that I'm far from a technology genius. But the Hoops Lab people and us got together just two weeks ago. And it is extremely easy to use. And the thing, the most, besides it being user friendly, one of the things I like about the most is the plays are animated. So when you hit the play button, everything you've just diagrammed performs in real time. And you can adjust the speed of the time. Then you can embed that video you've just created and post it on anything. And it also has a voiceover where you can speak and talk about what your players are executing. So it is a highly effective and extremely affordable solution to diagramming. And if you, and I will put this in the comments before tonight's over, hoops-lab.com or Rust Belt Basketball. If you use that coupon code, go if you go to the Hoops Lab website, you'll you'll have your choice. You can either get 10% off for three months or 10% off an annual subscription. <laughs> and take it from me, uh, from someone who is a, a technology Cro-Magnon, it is easy to use. RBS Activewear, their season never ends. High quality practice gear, uniforms, uh, coaches swag, anything you need, including awards. The RBS people are meticulous in making their swag, awards, whatever it is, to your specifications. You will get several emails after any adjustment is made, making sure that is it is exactly as you want it. Plus, at RBS Activewear, it's free shipping. So they do a majority of their business outside the state of Wisconsin online. And the free shipping is an unreal deal. It takes away um, a multitude of, of of the cost related to ordering online. And as, to further that point, one of my friends just went with a, a bigger company and ordered his practice gear. And yes, the practice gear was significantly less expensive, but he didn't see at the bottom of the quote, how much the shipping fee was going to be. And after he received his gear and got the shipping fee included on the invoice, he should have just done business with RBS where they have free shipping. Lastly, Thrive Wellness, a new health facility in Richmond, Indiana, serving Wayne County and surrounding counties. And Thrive Wellness offers for the people on this show Probably the most important thing for anybody in the Wayne County area in Indiana are physicals. Their physicals are certified by the IHSAA and are considerably 
less expensive than going to your family doctor. They offered a wide, a wide array of sick care televisit health offerings, office visits, whole food plant-based nutrition and cancer provision counseling, chronic disease management, IV hydration. The list of what you can do with an IV hydration therapy is longer than my right arm. And they also have common add-ons you can get in those or included in those therapies, COVID flu, A and B test, strep test, lab draw, urine drips, any of those things that you might need and take it from me. Um, I've been in there for one of the IVs. I won't tell you which one, but I'm sure Brooks, Mike, and Wayne know which one it was. Um, the Sunday morning cure. And uh, they are great. They are strictly professional and uh, you can't beat it. When you compare their prices to everybody else in that area, it's a no-brainer. So, again, thank you to our sponsors. And now we're going to start <laughs> off, and Coach Brooks, Wayne Brooks, is going to talk to us about what he has seen in the college basketball he has watched. And for those of you who might not know, Coach Wayne Brooks was not only a successful high school coach in the great state of Indiana, but he was also – a Division one assistant coach and Dan Sparks at the JUCO level at Vincent University. He was his assistant. And Coach Brooks has been with some outstanding head coaches. In a future episode, and I'm sure he'll touch on it tonight, we will delve deeply into Coach Wayne Brooks' experience as a college coach. So, Coach and uh, uh, Brooks and Mike, jump in anytime you like here. Coach is going to talk to us about uh, the college basketball he's seen here lately, and um, and then we'll turn the show over to you guys, and we'll talk motion offense. Well, it's, it's still a little bit early in the college year. It seems like here in the last, I don't know, week and a half, there's not been as many games on us because of final exams going on all that, but they there sure was a lot of good games in November. seems like the college season keeps starting earlier as we go here over the years. Uh, but the first thing I want to touch on is, is, you know, style of play in basketball. It, it seems like, uh, obviously it keeps changing with the times and more of the, the four out one in, uh, dribble drive type offense you see. So I always try to target and watch those teams that do more, more screening. I watched Indiana play the other night and uh, I think in a second half, they set a total of, of three screens away from the ball. So, uh, anyways, I'm a, I'm a guy that likes to watch the the teams that reverse the ball and set screens. Uh, yeah, getting back to the transfer portal, I, I kind of think with with players moving in and out, where they're turning to more of a universal uh, type of basketball and offense. But uh, we'll, I guess we'll see as time goes on. But uh, anyways, I just want to touch a little bit when you know you guys got time to uh, set your DVR with these college teams. I'd really encourage recording Kansas games. And, and, and the main reason is special situations, out-of-bounds plays, plays after timeouts. I, I think self just does an amazing job in, in those situations. Uh, uh, Tony Bennett of Virginia, great out-of-bounds plays. Uh, so those are kind of the teams I'm – I really enjoy watching the teams that screen people and reverse the basketball. Uh, 
overall, what I've seen this year, I, I think the Big 12 is the strongest conference top to bottom. They're deep. I mean, they, they're loaded at the top with, you know, teams like Kansas. And, and Houston's not going anywhere. They left their last conference. But, man, I watched them play the other night, and they're, they're a load. Those guys are really dialed in on both ends of the floor. You throw in teams like Baylor and Oklahoma, the list goes down the uh, pretty deep of that conference. And and I'd say after that, the Big East teams have seen plays pretty strong. Marquette, UConn, Creighton. I think Villanova turned around as they go, they go on. They've got, uh, I think, an eight and four record now. SEC looks good. I was really, really uh, impressed with 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 Alabama against Purdue. Uh, seems like anymore, rarely do you see teams set flare screens. And man, those that that day against Purdue, they did a great job running flare screens. Uh, one of the reasons I like watching Tony Bennett balls is one of the few teams you see set those flare screens at the major college level. I know it's a lot different. Uh, in the different levels of college basketball. Uh, Big Ten, I don't know, guys. Big Ten, you get past Purdue. Of course, they lost at Northwestern, but Northwestern's solid. Always tough to play on the road in the Big Ten. I just don't know really what's 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 uh, out there with the Big Ten this year depth-wise. I kind of put them after the Big 12, the Big East, and, and the SEC, uh, and probably even after the ACC. And ACC's not what it used to be. I don't think Duke's what they – they built them up to be going into the season. Uh, I have enjoyed watching North Carolina play this year. It seems like uh, Hubert's getting back to running more of the Roy Williams-oriented uh, stuff than maybe he had before, a little more big man-orientated uh, with the things that the, what they run. Uh, but it's still early, still early. A lot, lot, lot of teams to watch, uh, a lot of basketball be coming up here on Christmas vacation, learn more about these teams. And obviously Arizona is really strong. It's always hard to – follow the back pack 10 12 the, the pack 10 teams because they're so far out west and the games come on late but uh obviously they're they're the real deal they really put the wisconsin i've only watched wisconsin play two times this year those two nights they played lights out against virginia and marquette uh, one team i'd like to talk about specifically because I, I am a big matt painter fan i i want matt painter to do well uh would love to see purdue get get in the final four is uh, I think it's a little bit stubborn. If I've ever seen a team that's built to play some two, three zone, that's this current Purdue team with Edie in the middle of the floor uh, and the way his other guys, they, they all play hard. They play hard. They, they play hard. They play smart, but man, I, I just fear uh, Purdue getting a situation in the tournament where, you know, you, you put Edie in so many of those, those ball screen situations uh, man, I'd like to just see one night turn a Purdue game on and 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 see some Purdue play some two three zone uh, and just kind of see how they do with it. Uh, and, and I'll be the first guy to tell you when I was coaching high school, I, I was I was very stubborn with my defense. We probably played uh, pack line defense ninety eight percent of the time. And I look back on things and, and wish I would have zone more. But I think the game has changed so much with uh, driving the basketball, uh, it seems like the guards get the ball to the rim, they get fouled or they get a layup or they get the dump down uh, to the low post guy when the rotation is not there or they still get the kickouts for the threes. I, I just think that uh, uh, mixing in some more zone, especially if you're a team like Purdue to protect your you know best college basketball player in the country, he's going to be the best NBA player. Eh, probably not. As far as college basketball player, uh, it's it's hard to say. Edie's not not the best college basketball player, uh, 
but uh, yeah, with the way the game's changed, uh, really would like to see that as 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 a as a as a as a weapon in Coach Painter's toolbox there to be able to use and just avoid that situation if it comes up. And uh, you know, that's again, he does a great job. I no way am I saying anything bad about Coach Painter. It's like, man, just have that one little weapon there. Uh, you might need it. You might that might be the difference between. Uh, uh, going home early or, or, or cutting down the nets in April. So uh, you guys have any thoughts about Purdue's uh, defense uh, and that as an option for Coach Painter? You guys have any opinion either way? I think it's a yeah. great idea. Um, I'm the last guy to talk to him because I, I played uh, damn near 100% 2-3 zone my entire career, but um, – it wasn't my zone. It was Basil Mobby's zone, but I'm I'm on board with you. How many how many Final Four teams play zone or have played zone in the past? Well, that's the thing. How, how how many how many teams uh, do you see playing zone early at all? I mean, you you get past. I think, I think there's past- some for that. I, I think it's kind of like pressing. Um, you know, unless you're Kentucky with Patino and and eight first round draft picks the one year. I think when you you play a defense like that at times you. You kind of cap where you can go because when you play against a really good ball handling team and decision making team, uh, I think having playing a zone is really, you know, those guys can get whatever shot they want. Just like against the press, um, you know, at certain levels it works against certain teams. But when you got guys that can really handle the ball and make decisions, now I've never been against using the zone to, out of a timeout or something just to give something for somebody to look at. But you know, I think. Uh, you know, when I was a graduate assistant and coach with Coach Knight at Texas Tech, the one thing he always said about his zone is drive the zone. Uh, and I've always heard people say, well, you know, they're attacking the basket. Let's get into his zone. Uh, but the zone is the easiest thing to drive. It's, you know, move the ball against the zone, move the man against the man. And, and Coach always felt that if you play zone, then I can determine who your guys are guarding. So, and I think Coach Painter's kind of from that, uh, Gene Cady school with coach at old school, uh, you know, so when it comes to protecting Edie, you know, I, I think it would be an interesting look that they could throw out there, but their guards are so small on the perimeter uh, with Braden Smith. Uh, you know, you can shoot over the top of them. Uh, you don't get the rebound as well. I know Edie's a great rebounder and he's going to be there, but, you know, I'm sure he has his reasons. Um, but I think certain personnel really determines how you play. But, uh, you know, I, I think it would be really interesting if they put Edie on the ball on baseline out of bounds and try to just put him on the ball and let everybody switch everything else to have that guy jumping up and down, discouraging any pass everywhere. Uh, I think they could have a lot of success doing that, which I, I guess in a lot of ways would be a, a type of zone, but, but yeah, I, I've, uh, you know, I think it's always an interesting concept and how much time do we want to spend on practicing the zone versus this is what we do every day. So but, uh, but yeah, you know, it's always an age-old debate whether to throw it in there or not, especially when you got a really big guy like that. Yeah, I, I think the the trade-off in practice time may be Coach Painter's greatest, you know, deterrent to using his own. They they run so many sets, and they're so intricate with what they do and the, the adjustments they have off those um, and different things they'll do when, when Edie gets doubled the depth of their offensive playbook is so deep that I, I'm guessing he doesn't want to take a lot of time away from it. I like the idea in theory, and it's kind of interesting. Uh, 
Coach Miller, you brought up Coach Knight. So what one night this summer, just for the hell of it, I watched the uh, Indiana LSU NCAA tournament game. I can't remember what year it was, but Shaq was at LSU and they played zone. 88. So, huh? 88? No, it would it would it would have been later than that because that was like we they had Cheney, Graham, okay, right. and those guys, Jamal Meeks. And Indiana started the game in like a traditional like three around two, but they would put a guy at the nail, you know, dribble off the top, lift the guy from the nail, put it on top, and then cut somebody in from behind. And they were trying to get Shaq to come up and cover the high post. Well, Shaq just didn't come up or he would barely come up. And so they they got some looks there uh, early in the game. But where they really turned, uh, it was – I don't remember if it was after a, a timeout, a media timeout or whatever, but they really started attacking the baseline, just stretching it corner to corner and putting guards down on the baseline that could shoot and then putting uh, you know guards down there that could drive it if Shaq was out of the game. They even went to – we've done this – the last couple of years against his own. And I didn't know coach Knight had done it. Uh, just going five out, just five out and just cut, just cut and drive the thing. And it really, really gave LSU problems. Um, I, I think anything coach Knight would have done would have given Dale Brown a problem, but uh, it, it was a fun game to watch. It was fun like zone offense clinic to watch. Yeah. Um, Michael in uh, both the, everybody on this thing i one of the things all of you guys have said that uh that kind of made me chuckle was one of our buddies um and his name just slipped my mind um mike uh he, he passed away of a brain tumor um, oh coach matt english matt english yes when matt english was coaching and coach and basil Malby was at um Broad Ripple. Uh, Matt just put five out, and his uh, theory in this game was we're going to make Coach Mobby's 2-3 zone play against five people. So basically the middleman in Coach Mobby's 2-3 was sort of ineffective. And uh, Basil looked over at Matt about midway through the uh, first period, and he said – you know, you asshole, we're going to play man to man tonight. And, uh, <laughs> and, and Matt kind of chuckled, but when we were talking, he said, uh, the thing he was most surprised about was how good Coach Mobby's man to man was. But, uh, the other thing you guys have said that, that really resonates with me, what would you think about going back to, uh, Zach Eady? And again, I, I played against Matt Painter in high school. I, I'm not, I would never say anything bad about Matt Painter at all. I, I'm a huge fan. I grew up uh, 30 minutes away from West Lafayette. So we've been Purdue fans, uh, Clan Sheridan for my lifetime. But anyway, uh, I, I know uh, when I went and recorded a Jerry Bombholt practice, um, the first, I'm sorry, the second weekend Indiana was allowed to practice. Yeah, I drove down to Jay, Jay County from here in Bowling Green, and uh, he went through the entire Jerry Bombholt 3-2 zone defense. 
And afterwards, uh, they had their their actual practice. Well, Coach Baumholt's staff is is uh, all all of them either played for Coach Baumholt at Jay County or were on his staff at Jay County when he was there um, forty years ago. So. My point in saying that is they're running practice and Coach Baumhole can come over and talk to me. And the kids, you know, there, there's no slippage and there's no game slippage or practice slippage, whatever. And he made a comment. He said, I'd like to see Zach Eady in a 3-2 zone with the rule being you're the guy who never leaves the lane. You're the guy who never leaves the lane. And so I said, so kind of like um, John Chaney's zone at Temple. And he said, yeah, sort of. But he said, what I mean by that is on if the ball goes to the corner on Zach Eady's side, the wing has to take that. And then the point guard has to jump down and take the uh, the pass to the wing. And so he's going through these things. And it, it made my wheels turn a little bit because he said, uh, Coach Baumholt said, you know, a 3-2 zone is a great zone for teams who are – diehard man-to-man people it just makes more sense to kids and um what are you guys thoughts on that and I, again you're not questioning jerry bommel uh who's mikey's brooks is he number three now in all-time wins in the state of indiana active coaches i mean he's up there i know i don't know exactly where yeah but back to jerry yeah years ago i was coaching at south putnam and our football team did real well Went to the semi-state, so I had like I had like seven guys in the whole program that weren't playing football for the first you know two three weeks of practice, and on that that first week of practice on Friday morning, I just got those guys together. We did some morning workout stuff before school on Friday, and I took the day off and drove down to Southwest Hanover, and uh, Jerry had stuff printed out for me and talked the whole time. Talk about a great guy to. To, to go learn stuff from and and uh he really enjoys other coaches coming in i've always been a big uh, jerry fan for sure that's funny you say that because um when i was coaching in indiana we ran into each other at basil's clinic so here are the people i'm sitting with um at memorial gymnasium during coach malby's clinic uh, Larry Bird's head high school coach and his name, uh, Jones, um, his last name's Jones. I can't think of his first name. And then, uh, Jerry Baumholt sitting to my left. And so I'm like a ham sandwich in between, uh, the two hall of fame coaches and I'm in between them. And I'm thinking I even, I, I have not earned the right to be the pickle, but these two guys started talking and um, that was a clinic all in itself. Well, anyway, they included me in the conversation, which meant basically I'm taking notes. I'm like, you know, 30 years old. So I'm not going to say a word, uh, not a word. But those two guys spent a better part of the entire lunch break. And then the next speaker um, talking 3-2 zone and uh, – I got more out of listening to that conversation than I did a lot of the other speakers who were there, which Mike, you've been to some of Basil's clinics, I'm sure. Yeah, they're fantastic. I don't, uh, uh, Coach Brooks, have you been to any of Basil's clinics? I have not. 
Uh, I, I went to watch practice one day, but not never did go to his clinic. Brooks, have you been to any of Basil's clinics? No, I haven't. But I thought Coach Brooks brings up a really good point, especially for young coaches um, that are considering zone, whether you're in high school, college, or whatever you're coaching. I, I, I've heard some guys say sometimes, well, you know, these guys play uh, – let's just take Syracuse, for example. Syracuse zones uh, Villanova and holds Villanova to, to 52 points. Um, and, again, let's go back to when Beheim was there and they were really good. Well, Coach beheim has been running zone and teaching zone for 35 years, maybe 40 years. I don't know what it was. So the next guy comes along who's a first-year head coach, who's an assistant, a guy left, whatever it was. Let's say he's coaching at Georgetown. And he says, okay, hey, we're just going to zone Villanova the next time we're playing because they couldn't score against uh, Syracuse. I, I think that is, you know, as, a, as an inexperienced coach, you think, okay, maybe that's the way to go. But you got to take into consideration there's certain zones and certain teams that people, this is what they believe in. This is what they do. I think there are a lot of great zones in there. And, and, and I, with the irony to this is our next game is at Anderson and they play a variety of all zone defense is one of the two teams we'll play all year that play. And I am scared to death and how we're going to attack this thing. Uh, but my, the point to it is I think when you're watching other teams play and watching guys do things, you've got to take, you got to give them credit and respect for how much time they're putting into it. And coach McBride talked about it, the practice time. What are we willing to spend to teach these guys how to play zone. And I know Coach Mata did it a little bit at Ohio State when he had Greg Oden, and his thought to that was, hey, everybody spends about 75 to 80% of their practice working against the man-to-man. We're going to play zone, so you got to try to prepare against us for, you know, um, you know, for you get two days of it. And so I can understand that philosophy of it, but I think in, in that, you know, there's probably some parallels there with Edie and Oden at that time. But I do think Coach Painter is just a guy that believes in this is how we're going to do things. We know how to work around this. Is it worth my time or our time as a team to say, okay, we can throw this at you as, as, as you know, we're going to throw a punch at you out of a timeout. Um, and I do think it could be a valuable tool and, tool and something like that and give somebody else something to prepare for. But in the end, he's just going to say, hey, listen, this is who we are. This is our identity. We are a man-to-man team. We're a gutty team. This is how we're going to play. I'm not going to spend 15 minutes in practice getting into different kind of habits from what we're teaching in the man-to-man. Uh, so, But I think, Coach, you bring up a really good point. It would be interesting to see them do it at a time, but I don't think – you know. And, and I know you didn't say this, but to you know to, to throw that out there, I'm sure he's thought about it or had people say it. And you, know, you weigh the options as a head coach and you look at it and you say, okay, this is still who we're going to be. Yeah, uh, it, it, since we're talking zone defense, I'll say this, and then um, we can move on. But uh, one of the teams, high school teams here in Ohio, this early in the season uh, that I, I've been really fond of is uh, one of your old rivals, the Delta Panthers. Delta's jumped out to a 3-0 and start, uh, and that 2-3 zone they play is a buzzsaw. Um, and if Matt Brighton was sitting here, I'd tell him, I, I was surprised that, that, uh, they beat Pettisville with the way the, those two Ripke kids can shoot the three point shot. And then they beat a, a really solid Tenora team. Um, and, the, and they beat Montpelier, um, Saturday, but they're, they're holding teams. Their average, their defensive average now is right around 30 points. 
And yeah, they're conservative offensively, but they're not conservative offensively to the point where a shot clock would bother them. So I, I, I would say to anybody who's on tonight or listens to this, um, the recorded version, if you're really interested in playing zone, ask coach Matt Brighton at Delta high school in Ohio for some game film. But um, let's turn the the uh, corner here, and um, I'd like to listen to you three guys talk about motion offense. Well, we and I, I'm pretty sure Coach Miller's the same way. Coach Brooks, you might have been. It's like we're we're exclusively a motion offense team. Uh, obviously, it it changes year to year, it gets adapted year to year, but. Uh, regardless of whether I've been in high school or college, head coach or assistant coach, teams I've been involved with have always been a motion offense team. Uh, that's rooted back, obviously, I probably to, to Coach Knight and growing up in that era. Uh, but we've taken a lot from from other people. You know, uh, Rick Majerus's motion at Utah, a little bit more strict and regimented than what coach Knights was uh, Don Meyer probably had a good mix of, of what Majerus did with, with coach Knights principles, but uh, it's just a really, it's getting harder. I, you all may disagree with me on this. I think it's getting harder to teach and coach motion just because kids aren't growing up that same way uh, that maybe they used to, but I just think it's the best way and most flexible and adaptable way to play offensively. Yeah. And, and um, coach back up just a, a, a decade. Well, hell over a decade. And you had a great experience at Tusculum with um, a, a fantastic, a, a legendary uh, blocker mover coach. Yeah. With, with coach Jim Boone, coach Boone. Yeah. Yep. He was awesome. He, we, he has evolved. He does a lot of now the blocker mover, similar to, to Tony Bennett at Virginia and what, you know, obviously Dick Bennett started. But when I was with him, we were a little more Coach Knight-based motion than than what he is now. We ran a lot of uh, baseline motion, a lot of triangle motion. Uh, we run pairs, the traditional Coach Knight pairs. So those were our three primary motion alignments and they were were really really good and uh you know we had a lot of success with them yeah it's it's interesting i just caught myself thinking about this uh one thing that all of us or all three of you have in common is mike mcbride and i sat in an applebee's in greenville tennessee until they closed and this uh, continued out into uh, one of our vehicles. And I still have those notes And the, uh, those were uh, notes regarding pairs and baseline. Um, Brooks Miller and I, uh, our first real true X and O session was in Jim Shaw's rib cage in Maumee. And I still have those notes. And then I, I made the drive one day out of season. Um, and uh, Coach Miller used his marker board in his office. I still have those notes. And then, of course, uh, with 
Wayne Brooks, I've got uh, legal pads full of stuff. So my point in saying that is you guys are, are, are sort of a rare commodity in, in modern basketball where you can take what you know and put it on paper or put on, put on a mark board. And I, I know that sounds asinine, but I've dealt with, especially since we started this Rust Belt stuff, a lot of coaches who 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 can't do that. Everything they do is based on um, uh, theory or whatever, but they have a really hard time putting what they teach on paper or on a marker board. Well, I think it reflects in a lot of the teams you see play. I mean, uh, the coaches are willing to give the players a lot more freedom in what they do. Uh, you're not seeing the screens being set and the discipline in the game. That's kind of about my comment earlier about the style of play, watching college teams play. Is, is I, I kind of got to look hard to watch, find teams I enjoy watching play. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I, I just don't yeah, – I was an old set play guy. We, we – I had an uh, index card full of set plays from top to bottom, right to left, and my players knew them all. We spent the times in the mornings, five on O. And another thing, you want your kids to learn how to run set plays. They might be kind of slow there the first day or two of practice. You know, after school, you start having five on O set play sessions at uh, six a.m. It's amazing how quick those guys can start learning set plays. <laughs> so, but. Uh, yeah, that, that's my take on it. Uh, yeah, I, I I miss the old motion offense teams, and uh, um, for sure. So, with with three college coaches on on air tonight, one of the uh, terms I have highlighted here on my legal pad is shot selection, and my reason for bringing that up is, and this is a. a a question for all three of you is today's college basketball game, a lot more liberal in shot selection. And I'm not talking about your programs. I'm not, I'm saying by and large watching basketball. I've watched a lot of trines team. I've watched four trine games this year. And, um, I've watched two Holy Cross games on on TV on your website, Mike. Um, your shot, uh, your shot selections. Yeah, I, I I'll sound like that guy, but I I, I do believe for I believe that's why there's so many butts in seats in your games. I I still think. And I've said this a, a million times. Um, I would rather watch a Holy Cross game, a Trine game, or a St. Norbert game, who Gary Gresh is the head coach at St. Norbert, who was Dick Bennett's point guard at his last year at UWGB. He's the head coach at St. Norbert. I get more basketball um satisfaction or knowledge now that I'm out of college or out of coaching. Uh, it's just I, I can digest it easier. So I, well, this I, isn't... I, go ahead. So, uh, well, 
Derek, I, I think what we're talking about with shot selection, and I love what Coach Brooks said earlier, you know, if you want to watch somebody, watch Kansas. Um, when I was coaching junior college, and Coach, I didn't know you were a fellow JUCO guy. Uh, I think uh, we all deserve a badge for that. But I tell you, my junior college experience, I learned more in two years of coaching as an assistant for Steve Green and uh, at South Plains Junior College. And I probably learned in anything of coaching. And, and it really wasn't about X's and O's, just management of players. But the best part about being in South Plains was we got invited to a lot of different practices. We had a lot of different prospects at different levels. And Coach Self was a really good friend of Coach Green's uh, and the guys at Texas Tech. And, and Coach Self said, uh, you mentioned reversals. And Coach Self said one time, if you get the ball to three sides, I don't care what offense you run, you're going to get a high percentage look at the basket if you don't turn it over. Um, and I've always kept that thought with me for for a lot of different reasons. But for the last five years, I have an assistant on the bench. His sole purpose, his only job during the game is to chart our possessions where we get a paint touch, three reversals, both, or what we consider a home run. And a home run would be like a rhythm shot, like a back screen, pop, catch and shoot, um, off one pass, you know, bringing the ball in or something like that. And then we also have the neither category where you don't get reversals, you don't get paint touches, um, but we got guys trying to make plays early. Our goal as a team to try is to try to keep the neither category to eight or under. Uh, we're pretty fortunate this year. We've got a very mature roster and we have a lot of experience. So there's going to be some plays. We've got some guys that can make their, their own plays. So there's going to be some neithers. But we figure if we can keep neither under eight each half, we got a great opportunity to really win the game. So um, our paint touch percentage this year at one point after five games, I don't know what it is after seven, but we were, shoot, we were scoring 68% of the time when the ball touched the paint. When the ball got to three sides, we were scoring 71% of the time. And here's the great stat, Coach, that you mentioned – when we got the ball to three sides and the paint touch, we scored 89% of the time. When I mean scored, I mean get fouled or uh, put the ball in the basket. So we we sell that to our guys. And a lot of people talk about trying to, oh, they got this system. This guy won't fit in that system. To me, like Coach McBride said, all motion is it's an adaptability with your team. I was really excited this year about running high stack with these guys. I thought we could get everything we needed to get out of high stack. We ran high stack for one scrimmage. We scored 18 points the first half of that scrimmage. We got rid of every entry that we have now in motion. The only thing we focused on this year is screen the passer. Screen the passer, and we work really heavily on uh, basket cuts, whether it's passing cut or back cuts when somebody's being denied. So I, I think when you run in motion – what you're doing in, in small college, we are selling togetherness. We are selling guys working together. That's what we have. How can we prepare you through basketball? And here at, uh, in Division Three, we can't pay them to play. So we have to sell, why am I working so hard? Why am I making these sacrifices? So what we have chosen here at Trine is we have a man-to-man -man defense where we keep the ball out of the middle, which requires all five guys to guard the ball. We have an offense where we talk about getting it side to side. You can't get it side to side if you don't share the ball. So sharing the ball, things that you have to do together. We've spent more time focused on how to be a great teammate and what leads to winning versus any X's and O's. And I think that's what the motion allows you to do. And I'm not saying that's the right way to do it. If I was uh, Coach Beard at Ole Miss, when he's recruiting guys, he's got to sell how he can make them a pro. Well, it's a little bit more difficult to make them a pro if I'm only getting eight to 10 shots a game. 
So they got to do things a little bit different. Now, I love watching Ole Miss because they still incorporate some motion into uh, their, um, you know, their, I don't know how you want it, their isolation or they get out in transition play, especially when he was at Texas. They just did a tremendous job of that. But I think that it's a little bit harder now in the NIL stage to pay guys and coach them, get them to share the ball. So different levels have different challenges. I think you you still see some motion and sharing the ball, but I always thought if I ever coach pros, the only three things that I would emphasize, and we do that here, but it's still different, share the ball, attack the ball, go get the ball. And how can we get the group to buy into doing it that way? Uh, but that's that's kind of my take on why we do what we do here at Trine. Those, those, uh, those major college coaches, I, I don't feel sorry for them because of the money they make, but Man, what what a tough job that NCAA has made for them. I mean, you know, in the old days, okay, I'm graduating two or three seniors. Well, we got to make sure we recruit two or three guys to take their spot. This this whole transfer portal is just uh, – those guys' jobs are difficult. They don't know if they got ten guys coming back or three guys coming back. It's totally ridiculous what the NCAA has done to those guys. And back back to junior college comment, you probably know this guy. Uh, of course, I always considered Coach Sparks and Vincent as my second dad. I had the greatest dad ever, but then I had I had a second dad, Coach Sparks. And he'll, he'll tell you, he, he raised me from the age of, of past 18 years old. My dad took care of me from zero to 18. Great motion offense guy. Uh, he's at Mobley now. You know Pat oh. Smith? Yeah. He was at Trinity Valley when I was at South Plains. He actually, when I my first week at Texas Tech, I was working at camp, and he was there working camp. Uh, he's a worker. Pat's a worker. Uh, but yeah, he's he's a great, great college basketball coach. I learned a lot of stuff from him. He was at Wabash Valley uh, back in my days, being down the Vincennes area. But uh, yeah, I miss the old JUCO ball. Miss the bus trips. I always, yeah. I always remember our, 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 the first time we were gotten a bus. It's just a preseason scrimmage game, and we're we're driving up to Rose Holman just for a preseason scrimmage game. Like I crap them. I'm a big deal now. I'm on this college bus. So we go up there to scrimmage and like, I got to stop and eat somewhere decent on the way home. Uh, coach Holmes, who is Sparks' assistant coach forever, he gets underneath the, underneath the bus and drags out the, the sack lunches that the that the VU lunch ladies <laughs> made. That was our food on the way home. But I always, always like it when we won on regular games, though, because you, you, you got out of your seat and you walk by Coach Sparks. He sat on the front row of the bus. And, uh, if we didn't play so well, or and rarely did we lose to Vincennes, but you you got a five dollar bill. But if it was a big win, you might get a ten dollar bill. <laughs> if I was an athletic director hiring coaches, I'm not saying I would automatically hire a guy that had JUCO experience, but I would interview that guy. If he was in the top five to ten, I would definitely talk to that guy about any type of job because it is strictly roster management. I think it prepares you for so many things. And you talk about the transfer portal now. Division three in junior college, it was transfer portal every year. I mean, we would sign guys. I remember signing a guy from, from the Bronx that committed to us, and then he was supposed to get on the plane. Well, I'm in West Texas, and I know if he doesn't get on the plane, there's a chance I don't have a job. Well, he didn't get on the plane. So he ends up, whatever, we end up having to release him because he doesn't come out to, to West Texas to play for us. And then, you know, six months later, he's in Hutch playing for Monroe Community College, and my boss is just – staring me up and down when he's seeing them out there. And it's just, you know, there's only so many things you can control, but you do have to make sure you check everything. So. 
Yeah, I, I can. Um, I played one year uh, Division One junior college, and uh, so we could give full ride scholarships. And I I had a pretty good first start to the season. Um, and over Christmas break, uh, we hosted this huge uh, tournament. It was mainly uh, guys who had already, you know, working working people, uh, you know, people who were out of college. And this one kid comes in and just Damon Bailey's the tournament. I mean, he's special. And uh, his name was Chris Fisher. And uh, we get through Christmas break and uh, coach calls me into his office and he says, hey, uh, you know, things happen, especially at this level of basketball. But uh, you're going to be our sixth man now. I'm thinking, okay. Well, as I'm walking out of his office, Chris Fisher's walking into his office. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he, he was a special player. But uh, so, Mike. Tell us about a little bit about your. Uh, I, I like listening to you talk about your transition from uh, your your high school days into your college days. Because if my memory serves correct, you went straight from high school from Tipton to uh, was it Eastern Kentucky? I, I was at Eastern Kentucky prior to Tipton. So prior I was, to Tipton. Okay. I was at Eminence High School for three years, got hired for one year. Uh, I anticipated it being more than one, but it ended up being one at Eastern Kentucky by a coach named Scott Perry, who left Eastern and went to the NBA. Uh, his latest stop in the NBA is he was the general manager of the New York Knicks. He's had a, an illustrious NBA executive career. Uh, so I went to, I always wanted to be in college. So when I was at Eastern, I, I was at the, the college level I wanted to be. And I got hired. I was fortunate. I was on the floor. I got hired as one of the three real dudes on the court. And I got hired to help recruit Indiana and to implement motion. Um, so, uh, when that, when, Coach Perry went to the NBA. Now I'm I tried to stay in college, but just wasn't couldn't find the right job. So then I went to Tipton and from Tipton went back to college and worked for a guy, Walt Corbine, who was also an assistant uh at Eastern Kentucky with me. Walt's currently an assistant at Georgetown. So he's he's still in the game. But uh but yeah, I mean, some of the best coaching, and I'll say this about the year I spent at Eastern Kentucky. Um, I thought we played better coaches when I was a high school coach than, than that particular year. And I don't say that to any disrespect of who I coached with or, or the other schools. I just thought, damn, like if you recruit better, you're going to win. And that, that to me didn't seem like coaching. You know, and I grew up going to like learning from Coach Knight, going to all that stuff. Um, you know, so I I'm thinking college basketball. Everybody's a teacher. Everybody prepares. Everybody's into these certain things. Well, it that wasn't the case. Uh, so, uh, 
but yeah, that, that was kind of the transition from high school to college, back to high school and then college again. Well, I know uh, it's, it's interesting you say that because one of the uh, three guys who are answering questions on this broadcast and uh, his last name is Brooks found out the same thing throughout his journey in division one being an assistant. Oh yeah. I, my whole experience coaching there when I got out of college for a few years was being an assistant coach in college level. And, uh, of course I'm a young cocky guy, you know, thinking, okay, I've been helping out these college programs and took the basketball job at South Bend St. Joe. And I learned real quick that, uh, yeah, these, these high school guys can, uh, out coach a lot of the college guys for sure. We, uh, that, that first month at St. Joe, yeah, we were playing our man-to-man defense more like you, you normally see a college team play more aggressive. That's what I was taught. That's what I learned from the guys I worked for, you know, in the passing lane and that type of thing. By uh, by Christmas, if you weren't guarding a ball, you had one foot in the paint. And the next the next October, me and my assistant coach went to uh, – spent the weekend watching Dick Bennett put in the defense at Wisconsin before we started our second season <laughs> on how to play defense. Uh, with my Catholic school guys there at St. Joe. And when I was at St. Joe, our players were the Catholic kids that came from the Catholic schools. They weren't coming from anywhere else. So we, we learned to, I learned to adapt really quickly on, on what we need to do. And yeah, we went pack line, a lot of help and uh, focused on the discipline on the offensive side. And, and coach McBride mentioned earlier about, yeah, your, your time element, you're so restricted on what you can do. And, that had a lot to do with us playing so much man too. It's just you run out of time. And, and uh, my play sheet on offense was so long. We spent so much time on that. We're always getting pressed and, and you know, time on your press offense. And uh, usually when we zoned, it's usually because of through scouting, I picked up, I thought, well, the guy's zone offense is garbage. You know, maybe we could prepare for that, you know, and uh, if I see anybody sitting in the back, a backside lob against the zone, hey, we're not going to worry about this any time. Uh, zoning this team, you know, but uh, yeah, 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 and, and trust me, I don't, uh, I, I'm not uh, asking to point fingers on anybody, but one of my favorite Wayne Brooks stories of all time is he gets to a level where his games are going to be televised or the program he's in, and uh, the head coach, who is a somebody, says, Oh my god, you, you. Coached at high school, so you know zone offense. <laughs> so you're in charge of zone offense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, we did – yeah, even through back in those days, it seemed like we seen a lot of zone. That, that I tell you, it was a real good zone offense, Coach. My, my last gig in college was at uh, at Duquesne because I, I, went to, I went to college at Seton Hall as a peon because I originally went to Vincennes. I wasn't good enough playing college. So I went to Vincennes to be a manager, and uh, that's where I got to know Coach Sparks, and he took me under his wing, and and he got me the same gig at uh, Seton Hall because he knew Carlissimo. And uh, so I have two years of Vincennes as a student, two years at Seton Hall, and uh, John Carroll was our assistant coach. And, and my, last, my last coaching job in college, I was an assistant for John at Duquesne, and, of course, we had to – we had to go against John Cheney's zone and all that. And, uh, uh, yeah, John Carroll was a very good uh, zone offensive coach. We actually beat Temple uh, two times that year I was with him. 
that was the end of my coaching days in college. We went 12 and 16. The year before, John had taken Duquesne to the NIT, had a heck of a year. And uh, we had a real young team. We had we had uh, a freshman guard and a sophomore guard. We started all underclassmen. And we, we get back from the Atlantic 10 tournament. We just got our brains beat in by Marcus Camby and UMass and Lou Rowe and all those guys. And we're thinking about the next season. We had a good year. We, we went 12 and 16. We beat Temple twice. Uh, we're competitive. Got a good recruiting class in. Next day, John gets called in the office. Uh, John, your, uh, your days of coaching Duquesne's over with. So – my wife's pregnant, and uh, that was the 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 uh, decision I had to make at that time, whether to stay in college and keep traveling the United States or, or move back home to Indiana. Unfortunately, I was lucky enough to land the St. Joe job and coach in high school, which was probably my best coaching experience ever at, at St. Joe, probably with the staff I had and the kids I had. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm glad I had all those experiences, both both levels for sure. Yeah, I uh, I enjoyed over the years listening to you talk about those experiences. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch on tonight was um, how Coach Brooks Miller, how you've adjusted your offense this year to where you guys are focusing on attacking the rim. Yeah, we recruited better. When you recruit better, then you can do different things and, and uh, score more points, but – uh, you know, the key to those guys really is kind of letting them figure it out on their own. We have two fifth-year seniors. Uh, we have three seniors, true seniors, that will end up being fifth-year seniors. And then we have three juniors that all started for us last year. So we are, the core of our group is really, really experienced. Um, and we're just trying to really – you know, we spent so much time just you – know, like, uh, all we, all we just, we just talked about how to, how to play together, how to win the game. And I think our new guys, uh, it's been really fun watching them interact with our returning guys because uh, we have two, our two leading scorers, our two transfers from from Albion College, who we competed against for championships the last five years. It was us one year, it was them the next year. I think it was us again having to beat them uh, after that. So uh, it, it's been great. It's been one of the most enjoyable experiences as a coach watching these young men I coach them entirely differently than I ever have and I, I think being a parent has helped a lot in that too but you know our baseline out of bounds play is box box whatever and then let those guys screen the screener figure out we fill spots uh, you know you and I have talked about our cage situation where we're trying to and what we do like that is we down we used to down screen and back screen a guy in the wing and let that guy put that guy in a cage and, and let him read and play out of it fill the middle, fill the basket, and fill the wing. Now we're actually doing that from the top of the floor. We're up screening him and flare screening him and trying to play out of it. We, we've totally eliminated the down screen because some of the teams in our league, uh, they're very physical that we have to beat Hope and Kelvin. They like to, they're really good at being physical on cutters and, and you know, you can only do so much or uh, loosen things up. So we, we really are into flare screening a lot more uh, and we can ball screen with this team. We haven't had guards that could dribble, pass and shoot coming off a ball screen. So we've kind of limited that in the past. This year we have guys that can do those things. So it's been fun adding that to it. And again, like Coach McBride said, I, I watched some of his clips from last year. Uh, last year we ran a lot of baseline offense where it was three-man motion in the bottom, two-man motion up top. We started four forwards in the center 
this year we're starting four guards and, a, a, you know, and I don't know if he's a center. They're all about – they all touch the ball. They all do the same thing. Uh, you know, you just kind of really identify the roles more than anything else. And, again, we preach three sides and paint touches um, and screen the passer. You know, we'll try to pick on certain guys. So when we go half-court offense working on our motion, um, you know, for example, we have this young young man named Evan who's a really hard worker, tough kid. And we'll say, okay, we got to screen Evan twice before anybody takes a jump shot. Uh, so those are just certain things that we do, or we want to set two up screens in this possession before we take a jump shot. And we do a little bit more two on two than we have in the past to try to teach it. So it's been kind of fun. Uh, it, it always is when you're in motion and you have good players, but for us, like you mentioned earlier, coach Brooks, it's, it's about recruiting. Um, and we've got some guys that can put the ball in the basket. So now we're averaging over 80 points a game. Last year, we were like 68 points a game. We just better players uh, at the offensive end of the floor and better results. Yeah, and um, one of the things I, I really enjoy uh, watching, uh, Mike, the two games I've watched, uh, two or three games I've watched, you guys play um, on on online. You guys do such a good uh, good job of screening in the weak side against teams that really, really get in there and, and hug the mid, uh, midline. And um, one of the games I watched, I, I can't remember who the opponent was, but you guys did such a good job of stretching the floor horizontally. And uh, the ball would go to the wing and they looked down and uh, the midline was packed. They just fired the thing across the floor and um, just made them pay for playing good man-to-man defense. Yeah, well, we last year and then the first two games this year, we had our best player who was last year as a true freshman was first team all conference and an honorable mention all American. Our conference had 14 teams, only five kids made first team. So he was one of the top five kids in the league as a freshman, one of the top 40 in the country. We lost him unexpectedly after two games uh, this year. Unfortunately, his backup tore his ACL the first week of practice. So our top two, like, threats offensively, we could even play them a little bit together if we were we were going to run some baseline with those two and really just use the cutter as a disguise to get to a high-low. Uh, we lost the pair of kids we could not lose. We could lose one of them, but we couldn't lose both. And so we've, we've been trying to figure out how to – I, I akin it to playing poker. We're trying to find a way to play a bad hand well. Uh, and I don't say that as an insult to our players. They're college basketball players. They're talented. They're good. They work their ass off. They're great to be around. But they are in completely different roles now than what they were meant to be. And they're young. Uh, you know, when I heard Coach Miller talk about grad transfers and and seniors, like I got so jealous, I wanted to jump through the screen and she's like, damn it, I want one of those. Uh, like we don't, we don't have grad school, so we can't get grad transfer. So we, we have to get all the traditional route, which has been been harder and harder the last few years. But we were getting there, so we're we kind of sh- are shifting our offense now, uh, midstream, and we're going to a lot more open motion and we've implemented something this year and I loved it in the, in the summer. And then I loved it early and 
I'm not sure we're going to be able to keep doing it, but we've, we just call it horns motion. We go to the traditional horns spots that everybody has, but instead of balls, we will ball screen a little bit out of it, but we call we turn, that's just our alignment. And those three guys on top are playing a three on three screening game with two shooters in the corner. And the corners are just kind of be like they're engaged. They're reading when to back cut. Uh, they're reading when they're going to get a delayed three. They're reading the three guys on top. If there's like a, oh, shit, we're in trouble, they lift out as a pressure release, and then we're in our true, our regular motion, our open motion. So, uh, again, it's the adaptability of it is, is fun to coach. It's just uh, an absolute joy to coach, and especially when you have good kids like we do that want to learn. Uh, it's even better. We're just trying to figure out if, you know, if you watched us when we had the young man I referenced and then you watched us now, you'd see two different, vastly different teams. And hopefully if you watch us again in a month, you'll see a, a different team in a better way as guys get acclimated to, to what they've, they've gone through the last few weeks. Coach McBride, is there anything, when I watch your clips uh, from last year, is there anything you do specifically, and Coach Brooks, feel free to jump into to really emphasize the spacing, or is it just something that you talk about while you're doing it, or do you guys actually have like a plan for to get them to understand the spacing after the screening action? Well, in our in our regular motion, whether it be four out or or open, we always want to have two to the top, the two high elbows filled. So our number one rule there is fill the top and you don't have to fill there necessarily with a fill cut you know you could set a flare screen and circle under to it whatever the case may be you could down screen cutter curls then the screener is going to make a vertical pop all the way back to the top uh, so that's the first thing we talk about with with spacing the second thing is with 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 screening and we don't really talk about it, but it happens because of how we we teach and we read. Usually, if it's a you know a two man screen, we're not talking stagger or any anything. Uh, you know, one's going to cut to the rim, one's going to cut to the perimeter. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean the cutter's going to the rim. If he pop cuts, the screener's going to the rim. So they they split out of that action. And then the third thing in regards to spacing is what we do with our post. So we we either label our – and it, it changes. The same kid could change throughout the game. But we either term them anchored, where they do not leave the post at all. Uh, they're open, so they're out on the perimeter. Or they're a non-anchor, where they work their way back in and out. Um, and, and, again, the same kid could be in all three, depending on what scenario it is in a game. You know, the, the kid we had uh, – you know, that was really good. He was, he was just, he was an undersized post with a great body and he knew how to use it. So we anchored him a lot, but then we'd give him like some, a little bit of mental relief and let, you know, move him out on the perimeter. So he wasn't just getting guarded by three guys all the time. So those three things, it's a long winded to fill the top, two to the top screening and cutting action, usually going to get one rim, one perimeter. And then what we do with the post determines, uh, or structures are spacing. I, I don't want to take any credit for being a motion offense coach because I, I really never was. We, I was a heavy set play guy, and we typically went into uh, a lot of pairs once a set play. We, 
a lot, a lot of three out, two in stuff just because the sets broke down. You know, we did, we did two bigs and, and three guards. If we had more of a guard oriented team, we'd do some four out one in. Uh, but yeah, we did some pairs and sometimes we, I borrowed some army. I called it army. Uh, old Kelvin Sampson's uh, Oklahoma offense with the high post touch or hitting the wing and getting the, the lob into the screen to screen. We ran a lot, a lot of the army stuff as long as teams weren't switching switching that stuff and, and we'd uh, actually run some of our our delay games too we'd we run our our uh, four delay game for four score or four to to hold the ball uh but back what coach mcbride was saying about uh that horns offense uh yeah that 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 three-man game in the middle of the floor screening with with a shooter on both sides of the floor that's that's some effective stuff uh Another McBride and and Mike, you probably know. You remember Ron McBride? Oh yeah, then? yeah, Bloomfield. He ran that back block. I think he called it, where he had the th- the three guys in the triangle, and they just back screen the dog out of you. And yeah. he'd have guys on the each side of the floor. Uh, but yeah, you can run a lot of creative stuff out of that, and then also heck of a you know, del- delay game action with that too. Um, but. Uh, yeah, that's interesting stuff. That that three man motion in the middle. I've always been a fan of that. Well, the NBA's gone. Basically, if you watch an NBA game, it, it's like they're playing three on three in the middle of the floor, and they just bury two guys in the corner, like like Coach said. You know, they do it a lot. Screen for the ball screener in the NBA uh, to get that guy up there, or however they, they dribble handoff into it or zoom into whatever people call it now. But they, you see that quite a bit. Three on three in the middle. Put two guys in the corner and. See which one you can hit. Yeah, yeah. It's it's been good. And I, we've I had plans, and you know, how all you guys know, you get all you like. Summer is the worst damn time for a coach. It just gives us too much time to use our imaginations. We're too addicted to basketball to actually vacation or have a hobby. I guess that now that I think about it, I sh- I respect Coach Knight even more because he had hobbies. I wish I like could fish or golf without breaking a club and ended up intoxicated but anyway we've thought of we were messing with different ways to play not just horns but even maybe make it on a side like a a top wing corner those three guys in motion and then depending on who our other guy was like either opposite low or two guys on the wing I think I saw the Celtics mess with with it some uh, the last couple of years and watching it, but it's, it's an intriguing way of, of running motion. I don't think you can give it a, a heavy dose. It's like running triangle or baseline. It's hard to do those things in doses or for the full possession. At least my experience is, but you can get a couple, a couple actions and then go into motion, go into open, whatever your regular is. And it, it, it really, you know, it can present a lot of problems for a defense. And it kind of forces your kids to be patient. You kind of get that third side by tricking them into saying, hey, we're going to run baseline for X actions. Yeah, it's good stuff. I uh, I remember uh, following closely when, when Dick Bennett left UWGB and, and went to uh, University of Wisconsin – and the first thing he taught those kids, he called it green, 
was uh, two out, three in. And he thought he could teach the guys how to be uh, blockers and movers by interchanging kids out of that triangle. And uh, Tony Bennett runs it a lot now at uh, Virginia where they'll invert the triangle and put two guys on the blocks and one person at the nail hole. And then they'll put uh, two guys on the elbows and one guy inside. And whoever passes the ball, it seems like uh, that person will get a lot of flare screens. And then the screener becomes part of the uh, triangle. But um, I, I think uh, my last three or four years in coaching, we did a lot more of that stuff. And one of you three guys used the word creativity. Our kids liked it because they were able to um, think unscripted, so to say. And it gave them a lot of uh, areas to be creative and and I be I I always was a fan of it, but I became even a bigger fan. Uh, we had upset some teams, even some of the years we weren't very good at Maumee. Um, with that, and then I like what one of you guys said about uh, using it sparingly, going to what you rate what you regularly do, and then um, throwing the triangle or baseline or whatever. And and I think baseline in the traditional triangle motion fit together very well. Um, just from, from my limited knowledge of pairs, I know you three guys were great at teaching pairs. Pairs was harder for me to teach because of the unpredictable, the amount of unpredictability in pairs. It just, for me, it just seemed like pairs was a lot more um, unstructured, for lack of a better term, is in regards to teaching it, not utilizing it. Yeah, I, I could see that. It is a lot, you know, conceptually a lot easier to see, you know, baseline or triangle maybe than pairs. Well, guys, I'll tell you um, – I mean, we can stay on here all night as far as I'm concerned, but, um, man, I, I sure appreciate you being a part of this. I, I do want to say, before we wrap things up, I wanted to get your opinion on two things, three things, actually. One, and, and it's already been brought up, but I want to get it to where it's more highlighted. Um, tell us about teaching motion now with kids who are coming out of high school without any experience or little experience playing basketball where the emphasis isn't on who has the ball. I would think that's got to be extremely difficult. I'll start. I, I think the biggest challenge with really all kids is kind of what we've done in football and what we're doing in basketball is we're trying to take the physicality out of it. So the biggest challenge I feel that we've had is physically setting the screens. 
uh, not opening up the door, but but going and setting a good back screen and making contact. Or if you are going to set a ball screen, don't roll to the rim until you make contact. Um, you know, we set a lot of flare screens. Go hunt the man and try to get get a body out of body. I think, uh, you know, the easiest, I don't want to say the easiest, but the thing that they pick up the most is the cutting. Uh, and, if we can, and why I asked about spacing earlier, because I think it's still the most important thing of whatever you do. You know, I remember watching Coach K's team last year at Duke, and, and he calls a play, they make one pass, and then everybody just gets out of the NBA guy's way. Um, so I, I think, that, but they're so great at spacing. And I remember I watched some, when I was, when Coach Beard's first year at Texas, I went and met up with them in Milwaukee. They played their first round against Virginia Tech. And he talked about that. That's where I, I saw that was, he said, this is what Duke does. They get the ball to the best player or a really good player and they stay space. So I think if we can just teach our guys to pass and cut early and then slowly get into making physical contact on the screens. And it's something that we count in practice. We give them uh you know, if we played a five, make it, take it with three teams and cutthroat. If you get three screens in a possession and you get the basket, that, that, that possession's worth two. So, I mean, I don't know if that's why they do it or not, but it's a way for us to emphasize it. But I think that's the biggest challenge in teaching motion is, again, being physical on the offensive end. That's a, that's a great point because uh, the coach I learned how to coach blocker mover from, we played cutthroat every day, even the day before a game. And every day we had a special, quote-unquote, special rule. And on days where uh, the special rule was two-plus screens in a basket, and we played a six, um, might have been three points. So that team in one possession might already have three points. And uh, you want to talk about a competitive environment – that put the other uh, nine kids in a complete uh, quagmire. You know, they've already got three points. We're playing the six. And then uh, the running punishment for losing was substantial. It, it, it was a, a, a grinder. It was it was substantial. So um, I, I think that's a, a fantastic uh, – our, our teaching mode, and I took this throughout my entire career, was teach – what we called slow-mo, slow-mo teaching into um, a regular half-court um, competitive environment. And then once all the coaches were convinced the kids could do it, we went straight to cutthroat. And then cutthroat was – and a lot of the cutthroat also decided who was going to start that week. Um, I know uh, Fran McCaffrey talks about it all the time from Iowa. Um, they'll watch practice film until noon each day. And uh, Fran wants to know who is on each team who wins. And he'll take a closer look at that one kid who might not be somebody who's quote unquote on the radar, but he's always on the team who wins. And then uh, Coach McCaffrey will will look at film closer and watch what this kid does. And like what you said, uh, Brooks, maybe he makes a, a collision when he screens. Maybe he just rails people. Maybe it's what he does after a screen. But he's doing something to where on his three-on-three -three teams, his team wins a lot. 
a lot that, that his name's been brought to the table. And, um, you know, I think that's great. Now, um, moving on, um, what did you guys think about, and, and to preference this, I'm a big Marty Simmons fan. Um, I thought Marty Simmons did a coach of the year type of job against uh, Kansas, his Eastern Illinois team. I don't know if you guys were able to watch that game. But uh, I've been sold on Marty ever since he was at Evansville. I love how Marty Simmons has taken the Coach Knight philosophy and grow and, and has continued it. And both of you guys, Brooks, or all three of you guys, have brought up adapting and, and utilizing different things that maybe Coach Knight didn't want to utilize, more so the ball screening. But I, I thought that Eastern Illinois versus Kansas, and I get it. A civilian would say, well, Eastern Illinois lost. But within one minute to go in that game, Eastern Illinois had it down to a two-point game. I, I And I sent Marty an email um, after that game. It's the best coaching job I've seen uh, in a long time. Uh, did, I, I don't know. Did you guys watch that? I didn't get to see it, no. I didn't see it either. Okay. I think um, – and, and Wayne talked about DVRing a game. If I was a head coach now and wasn't sick, um, I would make my freshman coach and the junior high coaches – watch that game um i did i just think one one thing about all three of you guys that that is unquestionable amongst many things you guys are great scouts tremendous scouts you guys take away um the most potent aspects offensively the other team brings and i've seen it firsthand with all three of you coaches and i thought marty's defense that game was superb but I think, and this is something that all three of you have, have talked to me a lot about, was not just scouting to figure out how to um, combat them defensively, but what you can do offensively against them. What, and I, I thought Marty did a fantastic job of attacking Kansas where they were most vulnerable, which, I mean, cripe, it's Kansas. Um <laughs> It's like pulling a rabbit out of the hat. And I, I think the other two coaches I watch a lot who are fantastic at that are uh, Brian Oral at Cornell and uh, the staff at Bellarmine. I don't know if you guys ever get a chance to watch them, but gosh, they they are fantastic. Um, do, do any of you guys have any relationship with the coaching staff at Ohio Dominican, which I believe is division three, they might be division two now at chain. I, I don't, I'm not sure. I do not. I do not either. 
Okay. So, they, they played Bowling Green State University this past Sunday. So yesterday. And um, it was funny. Uh, my wife and I were watching this game, and she said, uh, your crew on uh, Monday's Rust Belt basketball show would love this. Uh, Ohio Dominican runs uh, really good four-out one in motion. So it it, it it was – now, yeah, Bowling Green – beat them sure but uh ohio dominican ran some great stuff so i I, the only reason i brought that up was i didn't know if maybe you guys had been in contact and and helped him um along the way but god bless uh he ran some fantastic four out one in motion and you know if if you're a, a division three school and you can compete with a Division One school. Um, shit, I think that's a that's a huge ordeal. But uh, you know, I, I and again, I'm going to sound like that guy. I don't mean to. I I, I really like Fran McCaffrey at McCaffrey at Iowa. I, I like. Uh, the offense, I just wish they could freaking guard someone. Usually helps. Uh, and it, it's, you know, I, I, I love the guy to death. He's been great to me. I, I, I love the guy. I think he's great. But this is the last thing I want to say, and then we can close up shop. Isn't it rare and you three guys are uh, high high echelon of basketball. Isn't it rare for a team who's is so fundamental on offense with the flare screens and all the different types of screening and cutting actions that are involved in motion that aren't isn't it rare that they aren't that good in their half court defense? Because most teams uh, from my career who are really solid in motion offense are awfully pretty darn good defensively. Or, or am I nuts? No, I, th- I think that's an accurate observation. Uh, I think probably because to teach motion has to truly be taught. You have to teach you. You don't, it's not so much implement or, you know, you put it in and now you know it, you know the you got it. You know, there are times I'm sure Coach Miller, hopefully he doesn't experience it this year, but I'm sure there are times like late in the year you look at your team, they're playing, and you're like, damn, if we ever practice these guys, it looks like they're just running around crazy. Like, what is what what just happened? Two possessions ago it was beautiful, and now they're it's like they've they've just seen a new beast. But anyway, yeah, I think. You know, I don't know what the the issue may be with Iowa. I think, uh, I I don't know, but yeah, usually if you know, and it doesn't have to be motion. It, most guys that are really good teachers, detailed teachers, have depth in what they do. Those teams are usually pretty sound on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I remember oh, it, Dick Bennett saying uh, it, it 
one of the last clinics I saw him speak at was uh, it is a awful, awful situation to be in when you're a half court team and your half court defense is awful. And just kind of stri- strikes me weird because I, you know, I watch, my, I never miss a Bellerman game. And, uh, their defense is pretty damn good, but their offense is, I, I think, high level. Um, I don't know. I, I, and I, again, I'm not taking shots at Coach McCaffrey. I think he's a fantastic guy, and, he, and he's been unbelievably gracious to me. So I just, I just wanted to get you guys' take on it. I don't know. So I know one of the comical things about Iowa is like sometimes they press, <laughs> they'll give up a dunk, but they're like, that's okay. They come down, jack a three up, and hit the three. like trading threes or twos. <laughs> He's had some talent, talent offensive players the last few years, though, could get by with that stuff. I always thought that the the, the worst defensive teams, and not, not all, so if one of you guys do this, I'm sorry. <laughs> When, when pregame warm-ups in, the, the team you're playing, they, the last thing they do, like they do the loose ball drill and slap the floor and they're rolling around on the hardwood floor, usually the worst defensive teams you go against. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, guys, I uh, I can't thank you enough for donating your time to this. I, I, I know uh, whenever I talk to – you three guys, I, I certainly learn a lot. Um, I think, um, no, I don't think I know. If I was still coaching, I, 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 I would make a huge case of studying the way you guys do things because I, I think uh, you take divisions out of it, you take you know, all of those things that I used to call separators when I coached, you take all of those out of it and um, you're going to be hard pressed to find three individuals who know more basketball than you guys. But with that being said, going back to the word separator, one of the great separators in not only coaching, but also being a teacher is you might know, you know, a lot more than most, but your ability to transfer that knowledge to your student athletes is more than apparent. I, I think it's it's special. I think it's um, noteworthy. Um, so I think those things are are things or aspects of the game that I don't want to say we're losing, but I think they are losing traction. Um, but I, I just think you three guys um, are exceptional. And I know Coach, you're retired, but Mike and um, and Brooks, if I had a, a choice between watching um, Big Monday or uh, whatever – genre it is on ESPN or Fox Sports and going to a um 
trying game or a Holy Cross game, your games are going to win 10 out of 10 times. Well, thanks, Derek. Appreciate you having me on the show and getting a chance to talk with Coach McBride again and, and Coach Brooks getting a chance to, to share some things with you. I really appreciate that. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you, guys. No, I appreciate yeah, I appreciate uh, spending some time with you guys. And, and Trine's only 35 miles from my house, so if you don't mind me inviting myself sometime, I might yeah, come up. Anytime. and yeah, yeah, come on over. Coach McBride South Bend was uh, three, probably the three most enjoyable years of my coaching career, so I still got there and reunite my old players. So you might see me knocking at your door one of these days. Oh, that'd be great. We'd love it. Yeah. Anytime. Anytime. Well, Wayne, the only thing I'm going to say is if you're going to do that, let me know. Um, so, one, I can tag along, and two, I can um, prepare my body for that journey. <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much. And um, uh, we're huge supporters of your programs. And um, I, I, I can't thank you enough for helping us out tonight. And, I hope as we continue this and it grows, you guys will still be a part of it. No yeah, problem. Anything you need. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys. Well, Hey, thanks a lot. And um, again, thank you so much. Yep. Thank thanks, you. Derek. Have okay. a great night guys. Uh, see ya.